1: When we share ideas, developments, and power, we can achieve anything. Welcome to DJ and DaBear, keeping you at the top of your game. Your hosts are Dieta Jones and Richard Dent. Together, they have made a worthy life that includes a family, two businesses, a foundation, and much more. They're ready to help you find your personal success. Now, here are Dieta and Richard.
2: Welcome to DJ and DaBear, keeping you at the top of your game. I'm Deanna Jones, your host. I'm a social justice advocate, leadership and organizational effectiveness coach, speaker and author. And I am typically joined by my better three-quarters NFL legend and pro football Hall of Famer Richard Dent. Unfortunately, Richard is on a plane. He's unable to be with us today for the show. However, we have lucked out and we were able to um, talk our good friend Shelly Rowe into joining us again for today's show. So let me tell you a little bit about the topic for this week. And I have to say, Shelly, before I even introduce you, this is a topic that I've been really excited to talk to you about. We um, had a little introduction to it during a previous show where you were the guest, and it it we didn't get to go into it as deeply as possible, which is why you are here again today. Um, it's a really a great opportunity for people to deal with something that I think um, – is tricky for all of us it's familiar to all of us and it's definitely something that's really hit me close to home lately so i'm really excited to um, introduce our topic for this week which is stop shooting yourself in the foot learn to recognize and manage triggered reactions and as i mentioned we are joined by a very special guest and dear friend shelly Rowe. hello shelly
3: hi Dietta. it's such a pleasure to be on your show again
2: Oh my goodness, the pleasure is mine. I know that we had to pull you off of the road and catch you in between flights. This is a pretty busy season for you, huh?
3: It is. You know, I'm really lucky. I've been doing a number of engagements. I'm speaking again tomorrow, but the timing worked out perfectly and I'm thrilled to be here and just sorry that we're missing Richard this time.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, who knows? He might phone in knowing him. (laughs) (laughs) If If he starts texting me, I'll throw in his comments along the way. Shelly, let me, let me uh, introduce you for those guests, uh, those listeners who haven't had a chance to um, hear you before. Shelly is an expert in leadership decision making. She is an experienced executive leader, a transportation engineer with a 30 year career and holds an MBA. Today, she is a sought after speaker on how to blend science with intuition for effective decision making, author of four books, including her latest, Think Less, Live More, Lessons from a Recovering Overthinker, and she is a professional runner. She runs her own business. She runs all over the country speaking, and she actually runs, as in three marathons, but she says that was a long time ago. <laughs> I know <you're>, I know <laughs> the feeling, Shelly. I tried to run today. Whew, my goodness, it was humbling, but let's face it. Shelly, Shelley, your, your, your claim to fame as of late is that you are a recovering overthinker, So um, all the way from Annapolis, Maryland, uh, chocolate fanatic, which is why she runs, speaker, author, and professional engineer, Shelley.
3: Thanks, Deanna. That was fabulous.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot to say about you, and I'm really excited that we get a chance to kind of pick your brain a bit more and talk about some of the research that you have conducted and some of the facts and findings that you've unearthed and some practical ways that we might address this topic so let me, let, me, let me tell you that this topic has huge appeal um, to a whole you know, variety of different people. As, as we were preparing for the show, I couldn't help but think how it would resonate with Richard, you know, a high-performing athlete mm-hmm. who had to deal with taunts on the field and players trying to get his goat or him trying to get their goat, which I think was very much the position he was in. But even more personally, um, about three weeks ago, I... Uh, was on the road. I spent a lot of time on the road, like you. And I had been on the road all week long doing presentations five days in a row, all day presentations, five consecutive days in a row. And then I had to travel with a connecting flight back to Chicago. My plane was late. I got in at 1 a.m. And then the next morning I had to take my son to a basketball game at 9 a.m., So by the time I got home from his basketball game, all I could think of was the couch and Netflix, right? And just cuddling up on the couch and relaxing and spending the whole day just chilling. And oh my goodness, I couldn't wait. Shiloh and I were so excited for that. And Shelly, I pulled up, I opened the garage door, I walked in the house, and the house had water flowing like Niagara Falls. It was, oh my goodness. I haven't told you this yet. (laughs) So we had pipes burst, which happens in Chicago sometimes. Um, that that uh, led led to water bursting in, in the top level of our house, but also in the coming out from underneath the house and flooding the basement at the same time. And I swear, I, I froze. Like this is my house. I've had pipes break before. I know how to turn off the water because I've had to do it before. But at that moment, I walked in and I was just overwhelmed. I was like a deer in the headlights. I literally Mm -hmm. could not move, right? And so, to me, when you said, let's talk about triggers, I was like, oh, (laughs) yeah, come on, girl. Let's talk (laughs) about I got some triggers.
3: Well, you know, Deanna, that's a great story. And what what was going through my mind as you were telling that story, um, I don't, and I don't think I shared this with you before, but I've recently um, enrolled in a neuroleadership program, so I'm learning even more about how the brain is working in those kinds of situations. So, if I could just share with you a little bit about what was going on for you in that moment, and I at least find it ha- helpful when I'm in those kinds of situations. But if you if you think about your brain performance like it's an upside down U, and if you are at the peak of the U, that's when your brain is performing optimally. But if you're tired or bored, then you're on that front side of the you and you're not performing as well. And you need a little bit more arousal to get you to that peak performance. But if you go too far and you get overwhelmed, <laughs> there's too much going on, more than you can handle, then your performance begins to fall off again. So you're only able to function optimally when you're at that peak. And so what happened to you is that you were tired to start with, then you got up there to that peak and you were functioning pretty well, getting your, you know, your sun to school, but then when the water thing happened, it was just one too many things, and you came over oversaturated with information, and your brain could no longer perform optimally, and it's just what happens, and then we have to settle ourselves down to get back to a place where you can actually then make a decision, figure out what's going on, remember where the water
2: turnoff is,
3: and then take action, because otherwise, you're just overwhelmed, and your brain can't perform.
2: That is that what you nailed it. That's absolutely right. Absolutely. And it was just one too many things, you know, it was that proverbial straw that broke yes. the camel's back. Absolutely. And so the things that I know, I know how to do well on a day to day basis, I could not access, right? I could not think where is the water shut off? What do I do? I, I just froze. Wow. That's right. well, so, so, so Shelly, how do I stop this? Or how do we I mean, I, I I'm not unique in this situation. And that was, you know, by no means the only time where I have had, you know, a triggered response, or I, you know, I I feel kind of overwhelmed. What are some of the suggestions that you have and that you share with people about how to manage some of these triggered responses?
3: Well, yeah, you know, Deanna, I think there's several different things that we can use to manage it. And the first thing is to, first of all, be kind with ourselves and to understand this is a biological reaction that's wired into our brain and our body. And so it's, it's a natural thing. It's not some flaw that we have. It's just the way that we're built. That said we can help ourselves manage it if we understand those kinds of situations that typically, reoccurringly, create a trigger. So, for example, my corollary to your water situation is whenever something goes wrong with my laptop. You know, I live on that computer, my whole business is in that computer, and if it goes crazy and locks up like it did today, and I don't know why, then I just lose my cool. And it launches my body into an overreaction, and I, it takes even more time to settle me down than it takes to get the computer reboot. <laughs> And that's an easy one. You know, at the end of the day, you got the water shut off, my computer gets rebooted, but the hard ones are when they are something, you know, at work or with other people, and you have a a reaction that is not productive in the work environment. You know, maybe there's somebody that's working on a team project with you, and they just get on your last nerve. And before you know it, you have an overreaction, you say something that you wish you hadn't said, it's not helpful to them to you or to the team, and now you've got to do cleanup because you've made a mess of it. Right. But if you can understand situations that typically cause you to overreact or people, you know, I had a boss one time that was just awful, and just thinking about him was a trigger. So I knew any time I was going to a meeting with him, I was going to be in a precarious situation. And I would resource myself differently to make sure I tried to stay calm, go in only when I was not exhausted, right. and I had more resources to bring to the table to help keep my body and my, my system calm. So it helps to know in advance what some of those triggers are, because a lot of them are pretty predictable.
2: Yeah. You know, I love, I love what you just, the word you use, resource, you know, when you said I resourced myself, and, and it's mm-hmm. one of the things that I do in my own uh, practice, when I talk with people and kind of coach people on, um, you know, if, if managing through conflict, for example, or communicating effectively in difficult situations or, or under um, intense situations, I tell people one of the things that's really helpful to do is remember that what you're trying to do is be as emotionally neutral as possible, mm-hmm. going, going into the experience and also throughout the experience. And one of the ways we might do this, and you use the word resource, which makes me think is that I tell people to use techniques for practicing how the conversation might go and how they will enter into it, but also anticipate what some of the um, questions might be, what some of the interaction might be, and then practicing it because it plays kind of a, a desensitizing, has kind of a desensitizing effect for people if they have some sense of how to, how they're going to open the conversation. They script it to make sure that they're not using language that is going to trigger for another person, an emotional mm-hmm. or a defensive response. And then also being clear about stating outcomes that are future oriented and that really allow them to get to, in a, a, to a place where they have a, a solution or, a, or a, a destination at the end of the experience in the exchange. Um, so that at the end of whatever, even if the exchange is difficult, they have something that they're working towards, a goal that will lead to a satisfying interaction between the two people, especially if you know where you believe that the interaction is going to be difficult. Let me switch us just gears for just a couple of minutes and then come back so we can continue mm-hmm. this conversation because I'd really like to talk to you more about these triggers and also the values associated with them and how leaders can use their own values to help navigate some, through some of these triggering experiences. So let's switch gears for just a few minutes. And while we're at commercial break, please visit our website, www.dietta, D E E T T A, Jones, and check out our latest blog post, And uh, hit us up on Twitter, Dietta M Jones, and Richard underscore Dent, and Shelly Rowe. We'll be right back.
4: Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
1: Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth-round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15-year football career. Dent's fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, sweat, and Bears hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or or download it to Kindle. Dieta Jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking, consulting, and writing on leadership, management, and cultural diversity for more than 20 years. Her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research. She is diplomatic, yet direct, and concept-based, yet practical in her approach. If you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Dietta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com.
4: Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
5: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
1: You are listening to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. To reach the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That number again is 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to djones at deettajones.com. Now, back to the show.
2: We're back and continuing our conversation on Stop Shooting Yourself in the Foot. Learn to Recognize and Manage Triggered Reaction with guest expert Shelly Rowe. Shelly, we uh, promised after a break to talk about uh, some of the values associated with triggered reactions. Can you talk to us a little bit about the role of values in... Uh, triggered reactions?
3: Yeah, of course, Dieta. You know, I think it's interesting. You know, when we think about our value system, we think of it as a very good thing, and it is. However, at the same time, that value system, if your body or your brain perceives that something has conflicted with it, then that can be a really powerful trigger and it can launch you into an overreaction that you might not even see coming. So it's really helpful to understand what are your values and because it helps you be aware of when some situation happens or someone says something, and it just flies in the face of your value system, and it creates an overreaction. And the other thing I would say about that, too, is that, If you are working perhaps with someone on your staff or someone on your team and they overreact to something that leaves you going, wow, where did that come from? Then it's very likely that something happened to them that compromised or jeopardized their value system. And it can be a really powerful trigger.
2: Interesting. That's very interesting. You know, I think about that. Again, I'm taking this personally and thinking about myself, for example, who is a person who sees everything, the whole world and every experience in it through the lenses of social justice. And I'm mm-hmm. always thinking about fairness, um mm-hmm. not just for other people, but also for myself, you know, and I think, you know, is that fair? Am I am I you know, are we am I getting my fair share? Am I being treated fairly? Um, and so the things that are, are the most difficult for me and de- definitely trigger the most difficult reactions or the most, you know, emotional responses in me are things that step on my perceived f- feelings about fairness or equality. It's really helpful That's to think exactly- about that.
3: That's exactly right, Dietta. You're right on that one. And, you know, fairness is one of my values as well. And um, that's a real problem because things just aren't often fair. Yeah. And it can be a real strong trigger. And, you know, the other thing, too, that strikes me, Dietta, is that sometimes when I speak about this, people think values, like your example, that's a really big deal you know, fairness and social justice, that's a big thing. At the same time, those value systems can creep in to even the smallest event. And if you pay attention, you'll recognize it. So, for example, I had this situation the other day. Um, I'm one of those people who believe there's a special place in heaven if you can get all the groceries in the door at one time. <laughs> right. So there I am. I've got three bags of groceries on on one arm, the toilet paper under my arm, two more bags on the other arm, and I'm trying to get the doorknob open, and, you know, you kind of get your foot under the door, and voila, there you are. You get in the door, all the bags at one time. So my husband is not afflicted with this. So I'll see him coming in with, like, two little things, and he'll stand at the door waiting for me to open the door. I'm like, you're kidding me, right? You can open the door. You only have two things in your hand. And it made me realize that in just that little moment, that little bitty thing, that what was getting on my nerves about that is that self-sufficiency is one of my values.
2: Yeah.
3: So even in something that small and inconsequential, it it was really a little eye opener that, that values really they affect every little behavior that we do and that was just a little bitty micro sized triggering event, but it's very real. And once I understood it, then I'm like, Okay, that's me being me, so settle down and open the door. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm telling you, I bet everyone who's listening can say, Oh, yeah, that's me. I can think of an instance in my own, you know, work relationships or interpersonal relationships, the way that I parent, you know, that, that absolutely Mm -hmm. are um, reflections of, and sometimes in the smallest little instances, our values, our values. And those values are deep seated. You know, values are, they're formed by the time we're, you know, four or five, six years old at the latest and they mean a lot to us. They're the lenses through which we see the world. So they're not things to be taken lightly. There's no there're no it's no wonder that they cause such a deep emotional response. And also, you know, we have these layers of cultural lenses that also um are impacted, you know, that that you know, they're added to our values. And so the the layers of lenses that um through which we perceive the world are definitely Um, informing how deeply we feel and respond to something that may seem almost inconsequential to another person who doesn't share those lenses.
3: And you're really right about that, Dieta. And, you know, uh, to bring a little bit of the neuroscience into it as well, those value systems and those cultural lenses that you're talking about, they're embedded in a different part of our brain. They're in in, a, in long-term storage because we've used them we've developed them. They're really a part of who we are. So they're in the long-term storage part of our brain. And why that's important is that the brain is very quick to access that. And that's what creates that triggering event. The The cognitive thinking part of our brain is slower to react. Mm-hmm. So when you have something that trips that trigger, like a value system issue, it's very quick and easy for your brain to go to that habitual reaction because it's your value system. And it's much harder for it to go through the long, thoughtful process in the brain that would bring that cognitive functioning to it. Mm-hmm. So that, That's why that triggering event is so easy for us. It's just the brain is just wired to go to that quick, easy, habitual response.
2: Okay, so here's a, here's a question, and I know you address this in your book. Um, they related to common, common threads and motivators. How do people know what their values are? I mean, most people would say, oh, yeah, I know what my values are. I believe in, you know, you know world peace and fairness and justice for all and, you know, those sorts of things. But, but, but I, I believe that we have a hierarchy of values, that we have some values that actually inform us more on a day-to-day basis than other values. Um, and, and sometimes when I work with people on values clarifications exercises, it, they really struggle with articulating what their values are and, and how those, inv- those values shape our day-to-day, um, interactions. How do you, how do you, um, encourage people to think about values and clarifying what their own values are?
3: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. You know, the way I like to encourage people to come at it is the way that it worked for me, and that was to look at a lot of different facets of your life. Um, One of the big things that I found is to look at the way you spend your time, because at the end of the day, our time is our precious resource, and you are unlikely to spend your time doing something that you don't value if you don't have to. So, for example, when I was doing this for myself, I was really struggling with what my values are, and I came in from a run, so that was the first clue, and on my coffee table was Runner's World, Travel and Leisure, and Martha Stewart's Living, (laughs) and I realized right, that's what I would read for fun. Right. So I realized that right there, it tells me something about the way, what my values are. Health and fitness is one of them. Yes. Travel and adventure is one of my values. And I love being surrounded by beautiful places, you know. And so the way you spend your time and the, the types of things that you read, I think are very insightful. The other one that I think is really powerful are to look at situations or people who annoy you. Yeah. And it goes back to your example about fairness. I did the same thing on that. And As I stacked up all the situations that annoyed me, the common thread amongst all of them is that they weren't fair. Yep. Yeah. And that's it's the inter- way I've then covered that one.
2: This is interesting. This is kind of this, this, when this reminds me of the language used by the famous organizational culture you know, expert uh, uh, Edgar Schein where he talks about espoused values versus values in action. From an organizational cultural point of view, and he talks about how espoused values, if you think about organizations as an iceberg, so I'm taking this conversation about values to an organizational level Mm -hmm. and saying at the top of the iceberg, if that's the analogy we're going to use, above the waterline are the things that we would call espoused values, the things that we say we value. And organizations Mm -hmm. all have these value statements. We value this, we value that, customer service, et cetera, quality, et cetera, et cetera. But then the, uh, the values in action are the things that are, using the same analogy, below the waterline. Those are the things that we actually do on a day-to-day basis that demonstrate what we value and in what order. They're the way that we treat people, the way we make decisions, the way we communicate, how inclusive our processes are, um, you know, those sorts of things. And the gap between the two is where organizational trust usually gets into uh, you know a, a pickle, right? Where people Mm -hmm. feel like there's, and this is where a lot of the, I would call it triggering experiences in emotion, in in, in organizations happen where people feel like what we say we value and the way that they're being treated in their Mm -hmm. organizational context are not the same. It's exactly the same as the conversation that you were just having about fairness, but it is interesting to think about how this values conversation absolutely applies at the organizational level as well. And some of the triggers that people are, you know, that, you, that we see play themselves out in workplace settings are because people feel like, um, you know, the, their, their, um, their sense of fairness is, is being violated um, because what we say we stand for and what we stand for and what we are doing on a day-to-day basis are not consistent,
3: that's a that's a very insightful observation, and particularly about organizations, because that's exactly what would cause a triggering reaction. It's like, yeah, they say that we value this, but look what they just did.
2: Yep, and, and that's where trust lives, trust. right? In an organization, mm-hmm. that's where trust lives, right? Where people, where we say this is what we believe, and then we don't do it, and then we have people behaving badly, and we wonder why, right? We wonder right. why, and we actually have. Um, there, if we if we step back and think about it, there are probably. Um, really healthy ways from an organizational effectiveness point of view, at least, and a personal and leadership effectiveness point of view to think about how we manage these individual triggers and also promote organizational health by trying to keep the gap between what we say we value and the way that we behave as small as possible.
3: And you know, Dieta, there's a personal corollary to that, is that too, as it that strikes me. Um, there's the deep seated values that we hold. The espoused values would be those that we believe we should have, right? Uh. The ones that we've been taught that we should have. And that was a big struggle for me, because I would try to rattle off these values are the ones that I believed I was supposed to have and that actually really weren't it really wasn't the true values that were motivating my behavior every day. And so it's an important thing for for people who are working on their values is to separate themselves and give themselves the freedom to let go of the ones that we've always been taught we're supposed to have, but that's really not what the
2: deep-seated motivator is for our own lives. So Shelley, this is really interesting, you know, to think about. So in our in our society, right? We, we hold some things to be, um, uh, you know, more sacred than others. We, we actually argue with each other, not you and I, but generally speaking at a societal level about who's the busiest, who's working the hardest, who's had the least amount of vacation days over the last year, right? And so we, we, one of the values that we say we espouse is hard work, work ethic, et cetera, et cetera. And how dare you value travel and leisure over hard work, And, um, and, and so it is interesting to think about how we have these societal pressures about achievement and accomplishment and about Mm -hmm. work ethic and those sorts of things that are pushing us to, to, to be driven, to be successful, that are kind of part of the American dream. And then to think about, wait, 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 I actually do value work-life balance. I actually do value leisure. I actually do value, you know, you know, having, um, downtime with friends and, 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 and not feeling guilty about that. I, I love the, the, the way you just turn that analogy into something at a personal level that is really you know, a, a conflict that a lot of people struggle through.
3: And you can see that today with the difference in baby boomers and millennials in the workplace who have very different value systems. And to take it back to the triggering thing, you know, if you have a millennial who is very much valuing their personal life compared to a baby boomer who's valuing that hard work ethic, then, each can be a trigger for the other, yes, because the behavior is conflicting with their own personal value system and creates a trigger for each other
2: oh my goodness, super interesting, and that 's like one of the number one topics that people are interested in you know figuring out as far as communication is how to communicate effectively across generations, um, just understanding how different generations have such different value systems, where those come from, and then how those play themselves out in the workplace to potentially um, you know, cause triggering experiences, but, but could be managed differently and more in, in a more healthy and constructive way with some awareness and some uh, skills.
3: It's all about the self-awareness. The more you know about yourself and what your values and triggers are, then the more you can catch it in the act and yes. be able to manage it better.
2: Nice, good stuff. Okay, it's time again. Let us switch gears for a few minutes. And while we're at commercial break, please visit our website, www.dietajones.com. Hit us up on Twitter, at Dieta M. Jones and at Shelly Rowe. We'll be right back.
5: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
1: Dieta Jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking, consulting, and writing on leadership, management, and cultural diversity for more than 20 years. Her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research. She is diplomatic, yet direct, and concept-based, yet practical in her approach. If you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Deetta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com. Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth-round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15-year football career. Dent's fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, sweat, and bears. hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or download it to Kindle.
4: Become a member of voiceamerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste.
5: Live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Get motivated. Hear about success stories and positive encouragement. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world.
0: Motivate. Change. Succeed. Succeed. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
5: Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment.
1: You are listening to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. To reach the show today, please call in to 1 346 9141. That number again is 1 346 9141. You may also send an email to djones at dietajones.com. Now, back to the show.
2: We're back and continuing our conversation Stop Shooting Yourself in the Foot. Learn to Recognize and Manage Triggered Reactions with guest expert Shelly Rowe. Shelly, in, uh, in your new book, Think Less, Live More, you talk about stuck stories. What, what are stuck stories?
3: Yeah, you know, I get a lot of interest in this. It really resonates with people. And, you know, we've been talking about those triggering reactions. If you begin to look under the surface at what's created that triggering reaction, what we find is that Most of us have just a few of the same stories running through our heads. It's that little voice that plays on, and it's that running commentary that isn't so helpful. But you have to kind of dig under the surface to find them. So let me just give you an example. When I worked at the Department of Transportation, I had um, a really difficult boss, and he and I were going into a meeting with our uh, international counterparts, and he was new. So as we walked in the door of the meeting, I turned to him to share some background information about the people we were meeting with and about the history of our work in, at the international level, and he unloaded on me and told me I was being defensive and I wasn't being helpful, and really it was, a, it was embarrassing, but it, it upset me greatly. And so clearly his behavior was not appropriate, but at the same time it caused me to examine why did I take it so personally and why did it hit me so hard And as I began to kind of unravel it, I realized that I have a stuck story. And that stuck story is is that I want approval from people in authoritative positions. Mm -hmm. And it goes all the way back to my dad and all that. I'll spare you that part. (laughs) But it's a stuck story. And when I look at triggering events in my life, very frequently Mm -hmm. that's at the root of it. And if I can unravel it to understand that I'm always going back to that same story, then I can get to the point where I go, oh, that's that same thing again. There it is again. And it so helps it, me diffuse it more quickly.
2: But that's a, that's a pretty self-aware you know, person. You, you are a pretty self-aware person to say, you know, I have this need for approval from people in authority roles, from authority figures, that that's a... That's that's a really vulnerable aha moment for a lot of people that it's not unusual for me at least and I think this is this definitely applies to the people that you've worked with as an engineer that a lot of times people want to separate out the personal or you know how I grew up in my family the the, the little nibbles that hurt me along the way from my my current workplace role my leadership you know responsibilities or my career progression how do you, how do you how did you come to that? Did you was there a specific uh, you know path that you took to get to that level of self awareness?
3: Well, it's been a journey, of course, and and you know you can't separate out all those experiences. They're part of who makes you you, and they're part of they're embedded in your brain. Your brain is always comparing back to those things, and when they get that disconnect, or it goes, "Wow, that's that thing that hurt us before." then it's going to trigger a reaction. And so for me, to address your question, once I had overreacted enough times, then it's not helpful anymore. You know, it was actually becoming career limiting. Yeah, yeah. The the other stuck story that I have, and these two are responsible for quite a lot of my bad behavior. And the second one is I'm very sensitive to being left out of things. So the way that would manifest in my work life is if there was a meeting that happened on something I was peripherally involved in and I wasn't invited, then I'd get my feelings hurt and I would behave badly.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So you do enough of those and you realize that you're actually, it's not helping you. It's not helping you be effective. It's not helping your career. And you have to then unravel it. They're not responsible. We want to blame everybody, right? Right. But it all comes back to me as an individual, and when I learned that I had to take self responsibility, then I would unravel each event and go, "Wow, what was going on for me?"
2: Right, right, and absolutely, it always yeah. Always came
3: back to two stories.
2: Well, and it's it, your your point is you know your point is well taken. It does it's all about self awareness, but it's also you know acknowledging what's going on with me, and then coming up with a plan for making different choices in the future and then figuring out what are the skills, resources, support that I need in order to make different choices in the future because I'm not destined to you know, repeat my past forever. There are opportunities there for making new choices and for making course corrections that you know, can help you um, avoid derailing professionally mm-hmm. or even personally. Absolutely. So, so Shelly, here's the big question. How, do, how does a person know what their stuck stories are?
3: Well, you know, that's a good question. And so I think that this, the, the aha moment for me happened when the same situations kept coming up again and again and again. And they come up with a little bit, you know, there might be different people involved. The actual situation might be a little different. But it's really the same problem every time. And what I learned is that we keep giving opportunities to learn. And until we actually learn it, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it just comes over and over. So once it happens enough times, then you're either going to just keep doing the same thing over and over, making the same mistakes, or you finally go, well, you know, this isn't ha- this isn't working for me. Right. And then be- begin to understand what is the real motivator, what's really upsetting me about this. And you know, we can talk too about do overs. That's a technique that I figured out somehow, I don't remember who taught me, as a way to begin to understand what that stuck story is and, and and what was really at play for me that was causing my bad behavior.
2: Right. Well, and I do, I love, I do love, and, and sometimes the way that, um, I encourage people to figure out not necessarily what their stuck stories are, but to kind of get help facilitating them to more clearly understanding what some of their stuck stories are that might be leading to triggers, to triggered reactions that might be leading to um, experiences that could be debilitating or derailing uh, over the long term, is to get a coach or a mentor, Right. Mm -hmm. To start thinking about, uh, who it is that you could enlist to give you feedback and to help you dissect and to think through, uh, what it is that's happening and look at it more analytically. Because sometimes it's really hard, especially about something that's a trigger to, to take, to be analytical about something that is so emotional. And so Mm -hmm. to have someone who's there as kind of a consultant or a helper who can help you really just put this in front of you and say, okay, let's talk about what happened. Not just what are the implications of what happened and let's, you know, slap your hand or, you know, uh, criticize me for what I did wrong or what I could have done differently. But to also help me really try to understand it, to get to the root cause and then see it as an opportunity for making different choices in the future. Um, and so sometimes enlisting an outside person, it doesn't have to be a formal enlistment. It can be, you know, a colleague or a trusted uh, confidant who can, uh, you know, who's willing to take on the role of helping me really think through in a more analytical way what some of the emotional experiences are and then the impact of the behaviors um, is, is a real gift.
3: I couldn't agree more. I'm a huge fan of coaches and counseling uh, therapy. Um, uh, I had a lot of help in my life in helping to unravel some of that and understand what was really going on. Um, So I'm a huge fan of that. And I had a friend tell me, it's hard to read the label when you're inside the jar. (laughs)
2: <laughs> what a great, that's a tweetable. That is a tweetable. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. So Shelly, let's get to, let's talk about those do-overs because that's that's exactly the, the place that we want to go to is, okay, once we've gotten to the level of self-awareness of being able to say, okay, I get it, then how do we do something differently in the future that will allow us to be more effective? So let's switch gears one more time. While we're at commercial break, hit us up on Twitter at Dieta M. Jones at Richard underscore dent nine at Shelly Rowe. We'll be right back.
5: Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment.
1: Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth-round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15-year football career. Dent's fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, sweat, and bears hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or download it to Kindle. De'Eta Jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking, consulting, and writing on leadership, management, and cultural diversity for more than 20 years. Her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research. She is diplomatic, yet direct, and concept-based, yet practical in her approach. If you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Dietta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com.
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
5: Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to share success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Hear about personal growth, building a better business, inspirational life stories, and personal branding. You'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Succeed.
4: This is the home of the Top Life Coaches, Entrepreneurs, and Success Drivers, the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
1: You are listening to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. To reach the show today, please call in to one 346 9141 That number again is one 346 9141 you may also send an email to DJones at dietajones.com. Now,
2: back to the show. We're back and continuing our conversation with guest expert Shelley Rowe. Stop shooting yourself in the foot, learn to recognize and manage triggered reactions. Shelley, one of the other things that you write about in your book is something called do-overs. Tell us, what is a do-over?
3: Yeah, you know, Deanna, I kind of created that name, and it, it's a technique that I found to be very useful. Um For example, we were just talking about stuck stories. So if you have a a stuck story or if you just have a situation that didn't go well. So, for example, I was telling the story about uh, my former boss, and we were in a meeting with our international counterparts, and he kind of lashed out at me, and it really upset me. In that situation, I did a do-over. So I reimagined the same situation the way that I wished it would have gone. And to be completely clear about this, it's not a venting thing. So it's not thinking about all the nasty things that I wish I would have said in the moment, right? It's thinking about how do I wish it would have gone in a constructive way. What would I have said? What would he have said? So, for example, in that situation, when I did the do-over, I wanted him to say something like, you know, thank you so much for sharing this information with me. This is very helpful. I appreciate your expertise in this. You know, I don't know that I see it exactly the same way, but maybe we can work together and come up with a way to work in the international environment. So that's my do-over. So the insightful part is to compare the two. And when I compared what really happened that upset me and the do-over version, that's when the big difference was that in the do-over, he included me, he respected me. And right there, one of those is a stuck story, and the other one is a value. Right, right. So it immediately highlighted what it was that was the root cause of my overreaction and my really hurt feelings.
2: Right. So that's interesting. You know, the approach that you're describing this do-overs to me sounds a lot like the scripting exercise that I mentioned earlier in the mm. show, right? And kind of anticipating, especially if you believe that an interaction that you're about to go into has a high probability of conflict or, you know, a, a triggering uh, emotional uh, response, then you know, anticipating, planning for it, um, and then going in kind of e- emotionally centered and ready is really helpful. But in your situation, you used it as a way also to look back analytically and dissect and really analyze uh, what the experience was and how it how it connected to your values and stuck stories. How does, that, how does that help you? How does replaying a do-over help you with your triggers? I mean, you analyzed it and you understand what happened, but then, but then what do you do with it?
3: Well, it helps me the next time. So it begins to, you know, when you do it enough times, and it's like any, it's a skill. I truly believe this is a skill. And like any other skill, the more you do it, the more practice you get and the more it becomes habitual. And in fact, that's what we see with the brain. The more you do a specific behavior, once you've done it several times, your brain gets the message that this is one that you want to keep, and it begins to store it in that long-term memory part of your brain that makes it easier for it to access the next time. Right. So it's really a practice-makes-perfect kind of thing.
2: Right. But, the, but what you're saying, then, is what I need to do, and I agree with you, I, what I need to do is... Figure out what are the behaviors associated with me having the feeling of being respected, and how do I facilitate the the experience of me having uh, that kind of interaction, right? Because it's not just I want you to respect me. I can't say, Shelly, I just want you to respect me because that's a value. I need to figure out how I ask for it. I need to make sure that my um, that that um, I understand. Uh, how my behaviors are contributing to the mm-hmm. overall dynamic. I need to figure out what it is that um, I need to see from you behaviorally as evidence that you are respecting me and in some way set myself up to, to see that and have experience of it. If what I want is to create a satisfying outcome for both of us.
3: And that's true. The, the other thing that I would add to that, um, when I've done the do-overs with my family members, so for example, um, I've had situations in the past where my mother and I didn't exactly see eye to the eye on some things. I'm probably <laughs> not the only one. Um, and we would have certain topics that no matter when we talked about them or how they just tended to be lightning rod conversations and they were just difficult so I had a do-over with one of those conversations and I imagined what I wished she would have said to me in that moment Mm -hmm. and what I remember about that do-over is that the words that I wanted her to say to me were outside of her repertoire. Yeah. There was nothing in her background, nothing in her upbringing, that would have positioned her to be able to say the kinds of things that I wanted to hear. Right. And once I understood that, that was a big aha moment, it allowed me to have an interaction with her that created a lot more empathy on my part. Nice. I I knew what I needed, but I would have to get it some other way because it was just outside of what she was capable of providing just because of who she is, not because she doesn't want to, it's just outside of her realm of possibilities.
2: I love it. So this is not about just trying to set myself up to have a satisfying experience for myself. It's also about kind of letting go of certain expectations of related to outcomes, right? So, and, and, and also realizing that my my values don't trump your values, and sometimes I a satisfying outcome is one where both of us make a little bit of progress.
3: I love that my values don't trump your values. Um, yeah, and if we can get to that place, so everybody comes moves just a little bit. Yeah, then it makes all the difference. The common denominator, Diet, and everything that you've been sharing about your work as well, is self awareness is really key.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's not just this is who I am and therefore I'm destined to have these experiences forever and ever. This is who I am. This is what I want for myself, right? What, here's the delta between what I'm coming with now and where I want to be, who I want to be, how I want to be perceived. And then here are the opportunities for me to make adjustments in my own be, in my own behavior that will allow me to get closer to my aspirational self right and to and to feel better along the way
3: that's that's such a great point. I'm glad you mentioned that. Again, back to the neuroscience, what the scientists now tell us is the brain is always plastic, and so we can make adjustments to our behavior, and we can tweak those habits to make them more productive. It takes practice. It takes some determination and awareness, but it's possible. So we can create a better outcome for ourselves and, and better ways of stop, you know, not shoot ourselves in the foot every time.
2: That's right. Shelly, I have loved it. I can't believe what we, we have. Oh, we are at the top of the hour, if you can believe it. The time just flew by. This was an incredibly interesting conversation with you. Um, I want to encourage everyone to go out and check out Shelly's new book, Think Less, Live More. And uh, Shelly, make sure that we have access. Hit us up on Twitter, and I'll make sure to send out to our listeners a link directly to your book. It's an absolute must-read. It's a page-turner. Thank you again for joining us today. We have loved every minute of it, and we hope you have too. Uh, Please join us next week when we'll be talking with Steve DeLott on financial investing in uncertain times. Um, In the meantime, uh, keep finding ways to make a dent in pursuit of your dreams, to serve your community, to make our world better.
1: Thanks again for tuning in. Please join Dietta Jones and Richard Dent for another edition of DJ and Bear. We'll be back next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.